Good to be with you, church. My name is Halim Sa. I serve as one of the pastors and elders here at the Stone. We're continuing our look into the most famous sermon ever preached. It's a sermon by Jesus. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and it's recorded for us in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And the essential message of the Sermon on the Mount is this, that Jesus is a king, and he's a king like no other, and he has come to establish a kingdom like no other. And all throughout his sermon, he's saying that this is what the citizens of my kingdom, this is what my people are going to look like, this is the way that my people are going to live, and this is the way that my people are going to aspire to live. Jesus begins with a series of sayings that all have the same theme of blessedness. It's known as the Beatitudes. What is the truly blessed life? Where can true blessedness Where can true happiness and flourishing be found? It's the question that the whole world is asking, right? And Jesus is saying, I know where it's found. What have we seen so far? Jesus is saying that true blessedness is found in being poor in spirit, not rich. Being poor in spirit. It's the poor in spirit who will enter the kingdom of heaven, he says. It's found in mourning our sins, not celebrating our self-righteousness. It's found in mourning the sin that's in this world, not being apathetic towards it. Jesus said it's the mourning that will be comforted. It's found in our meekness when we use our strength to serve God and serve others, not using our strength to serve ourselves. It's found in hungering and thirsting for righteousness. It's not found in satisfying our every fleshly appetite. It's those who hunger and thirst for righteousness that will be satisfied, Jesus said. These are the promises, these are the rewards to the first four Beatitudes that we've looked at so far. And in a sense, you can sum them up in one word. What word is that? It's mercy. It's mercy. Jesus will give us his kingdom. He's going to give us his comfort. He's going to give us his creation and his righteousness. How? Why? Because we've earned it in some way? Because somehow we deserve it? No, only because he is the God of mercy. Only by his mercy, not by our merit, can we obtain such wonderful things. And so out of this great mercy that we've received from God, we have the fifth beatitude today. Matthew chapter five, verse seven. It says, blessed, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And so we're going to be talking about mercy today, and let's ask three questions together concerning mercy. Number one, what is mercy? What is mercy? And number two, what are the barriers to mercy? What are the barriers to our showing mercy to one another? And number three, what is the reward of mercy? What is the promise of mercy? What is mercy? What are the barriers to mercy and what is the promise of mercy? So first, what is mercy? When trying to define mercy, there's no place in the scriptures quite like the parable of the Good Samaritan to show us the dimensions of mercy, to see what mercy really looks like. Let's read together. It's found in Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 30. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, Jesus said, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road, 
And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave, gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers, Jesus asked. And he said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So there's this lawyer, he's questioning Jesus, and, Jesus, and he listens to Jesus' story about all that the Samaritan did for this Jewish man, and he sums it up as mercy, that the Samaritan was this Jewish man's true neighbor because, she, because he showed him mercy. And Jesus says, that's right, you go and do likewise. And so we can see through the Samaritan and Jesus' story at least three dimensions of mercy. The first dimension, the first dimension is that mercy sees. Mercy sees. Mercy is not blind. Mercy sees the distress. Mercy does not ignore. Mercy sees the need. Verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, when he saw him, This is showing us that as Christians, we need to constantly have the eyes of our hearts be opened. If Jesus were to ever ask us, why didn't you have mercy on your neighbor, we won't ever be able to answer, oh, but Jesus, I didn't see. I didn't know. That can't be our excuse. We live such insulated lives sometimes that many times we don't even see the need of the people around us. The first act of God's mercy towards us was that he saw. He saw. He saw you, he saw your condition, he saw your need. Our God is the God who sees, and so we need to be a people that see, we need to be a people that position ourselves in our neighborhoods, in our workplace, at school. We have to intentionally position ourselves so that we can see the distress and the needs of our neighbors and our coworkers and those living in this city. The second dimension is that mercy feels. Mercy not only sees the need, but it feels the need. It feels the distress. Verse 33 again, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He had compassion. This perhaps is the distinguishing factor of mercy. There's an empathy element to it. You see, many of us, this is the step that we skip. Uh, Many of us, we might be seeing the need and maybe even meeting the need, but we're not ever stopping to empathize, to truly feel the need. Mercy carries with it the idea of a person entering into a person's suffering and burdens. It's not an unfeeling, unaffected bystander that's just kind of helping out. It has a picture of putting on their flesh, feeling what they're feeling. And this is what Philippians 2 is all about, that Jesus humbled himself by taking upon a form of a servant, by putting on flesh and being born as a human being. Why? So that he can go through what we go through. So that he can feel what we feel. 
And as Hebrews chapter four says, so that he can sympathize with our weaknesses. So don't you see that Jesus, the only way that he could be merciful to us, I mean truly be merciful to us, was that he had to become a human being. Why? So that he can feel what we feel and know what we go through. God himself becoming human was the great cost of mercy. And isn't it an incredible thought that Jesus right now, right now, he's 100% human. Guys ever thought about that? Yes, he's 100% God, but at the same time, he's 100% human. Why? So that he can know. So that we have a God that when we go through hard things, we don't have a God who says, you know, I love you, but I just don't know what you're going through right now. I see that you're in pain, but I've never really felt that pain. So that we could have a God in heaven who says to us every time, I know, I felt what you feel. So that we have a God in heaven who is able to show us mercy, true mercy. Mercy doesn't just see, it feels. The third dimension is that mercy acts. Mercy sees the need, mercy feels the need, but it doesn't stop there. If you stop here, many of us do, I don't know what it is, I just know it's not mercy. Mercy sees the need, it feels the need, and then it acts to meet the need and relieve the distress. You see, Mercy is at least a feeling, but it's more than a feeling. It's a feeling that moves you. Moves you to what? Just to feel more? Maybe to cry? No, mercy is a feeling that you get swelling up inside of you and you say, I can't keep feeling this way. I have to do something about this. I can't just sit around and feel. I have to act. I have to meet the need and relieve the distress that I'm seeing. You might see the need and feel deeply for the person in need, but then You don't do anything about it, many of us. And for many of us, this is the step that we skip. And that's not mercy either. Verse 34 says, he went to him and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. What this is showing us is that mercy is an action, right? But it's more than that. It's an action that costs. Mercy will always cost. We can't ever be merciful without it costing. What did it cost the Samaritan? Well, it cost him his schedule, right? I'm sure he was traveling for a reason. I'm sure he had some agenda. Whatever he was trying to do, he had to postpone it. Mercy will never serve your convenience. It will never serve your convenience. You'll never encounter a need and say, oh, I'll meet that need because it's so convenient for me, right? Why did you choose to adopt? Well, because it was so convenient said no one ever, right? (laughs) Mercy will cost you time. Mercy will cost you money. Mercy will cost you your emotions. And mercy will even at times cost you your very sense of self. At times you'll need to go against yourself for the purpose of mercy. Why do I say that? Because the Samaritans were half-breed Jews with their own religious practices. And so the Jewish people hated them. They saw them as impure. They saw them as idolatrous. The Samaritan, in order to help this Jewish man, had to overcome. He had to forgive somehow a history of racism and enmity that existed between two peoples. The Samaritan had to somehow overcome the idea that this man is not like me. This man doesn't believe what I believe. He doesn't value what I value. Though mercy would cost him deeply, the Samaritan had mercy. And ultimately, This is the picture of the mercy that was demonstrated on the cross for us, isn't it? 
We were not in any way like Jesus, right? We didn't believe what he believed. We didn't value what he valued. We and the entire human race were his enemies. We were foreigners to him and his ways. Yet on the cross, Jesus was willing to lose himself. How? The Bible says that he who knew no sin, he had nothing to do with this sin. He had never committed sin. He knew nothing about sin, and yet he became it. Why? So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus was willing to lose himself. The mercy that Jesus poured upon us cost him his very self. And so at times, God will call us to show mercy that will cost us our very self. Perhaps our pride. Perhaps our desire to be right. Perhaps our own value system. Maybe even our own lives. And so the first question, what is mercy? Mercy sees the need. Mercy feels the need. And it acts to meet the need through forgiveness and through sacrificial giving to relieve the distress, even at great cost to oneself. That's mercy. The second question, what are the barriers to mercy? Mercy sounds like a wonderful thing. And so why aren't we more merciful? Why don't we show mercy? What are the barriers that keep us from being merciful? Two barriers at least. Number one, the cost. And number two, the trivial. The cost and the trivial. The first, the cost. We've touched on it already, but one of the major barriers to our showing mercy is that, what? It just costs too much. It just costs too much. You say, you know, I see that need and I feel for that need. I really do. I really feel bad for that person, but I just, but I just what? But I just don't have the time right now. But I just don't have the money right now. I just, I'm going through some things myself. I just don't have the emotional bandwidth right now. When we say that, what we're really saying is that I just don't have a way of meeting that need without it costing me. Right? I see that need, I feel for that need, but I, I can't figure out a way to meet that need without it also burdening me. That's what we're saying. Paul tells us in Galatians 6, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens. I think that's just another way of saying be merciful to one another. The man on the Jericho Road had a burden, didn't he? And what did the Samaritan do? He took upon his burden, literally got off of the donkey so that he could carry the burden of this entire man to an end. Pastor Tim Keller says that you can't bear someone's burdens unless some of their burdens fall on you. That's what it means. That's just the nature of it. That if you see someone from our setup and teardown team carrying a 100-pound bistro table, Right? And you, and you want to help. What do you have to do? You have to go get up next to them, and you have to allow 20 pounds of that weight, 50 pounds of that weight, 80 pounds of that weight to come over and spill over onto you so that they can experience some relief. There's no other way to bear somebody else's burden without some of it coming back onto you, without it costing you. You see, when we say, I just don't have the time, I would love to help, but I just can't for whatever reason. What you're really saying is I just don't want any of your burden falling on me, spilling over into my life, because if I say yes to you, then I have to say no to me in certain areas of my life. You see, you can't be merciful to a person, to a, to a person in financial need without you creating some financial need in your own life. You can't do it. 
You can't be merciful to a person that is suffering without some of their suffering entering into your life. You just can't do it. You can't be merciful and forgive a person that sinned against you without further absorbing the pain of that sin in your life, without again experiencing the pain of that sin in your life once again. You can't do it. Mercy always costs. So how can we be merciful? Seems like an impossible calling. It is impossible if we're only looking at what it's going to cost us to show mercy. That's what we're always looking at. What's it going to cost me? And if we do that, if we're fixated on the burden that it's going to bring into our lives, we'll never be merciful. But if we look at what it costs Jesus, what it costs God to be merciful to us, that's when we'll begin to show mercy. Mercy. We have to look at what it costs God to show us mercy more than what it's going to cost us. You see, many of us think that somehow it was easy for God to show us mercy. That because all throughout the Bible it tells us that God is the God of mercy, that God is a merciful God, that it was somehow easy for God to be merciful to us. But with all due reverence, knowing that nothing is impossible for God, let me say that the only real problem The only real problem that the Almighty God ever truly faced was the problem of our need for his mercy. Because before the creation of the world, there was no light. There's no light. That's a big problem, right? How did he fix it? How did he address it? He just said, let there be light. And there was light. I wish I could fix problems like this. Let there be obedient children, right? Let there be pizza. That would be amazing. There there were no animals, There was no earth. There were no living creatures. God just said, let there be earth. Let there be living creatures. Let there be plants. And and there was. And the problem was solved. But what about our need for mercy? Though God created us in his image and in his goodness, we defiled his image. We rejected his goodness with our sins and were separated from him. Could things be made right ever again? Could things be made right ever again? Could God look upon us and call us good ever again? Will we ever be able to experience once again the unhindered relationship of knowing God and being known by him ever again? Yes, yes. But it would require the mercy of God, right? Without mercy, it would be impossible. And so God said, let there be mercy. Is that how he did it? No. This was the one problem in all the universe that God couldn't fix by just saying, let there be. In other words, what? Mercy wasn't easy for God. Mercy wasn't easy for God. Mercy would cost God everything. It would cost him his very son the torment and the torturing and the death of his own son on the cross, when we stop looking at what it's going to cost us to be merciful and start looking at what it costs God to be merciful, that's when we'll begin to say, come on, burden, I'll take your burden. That's what I'm here for. But God in his great mercy has set me free from the full weight of my burden, so I'm free. I'm free to help you bear your burden. So that's one barrier to our showing mercy. We're so fixated on what it's going to cost us rather than being in awe of what it costs God. A second barrier that keeps us from showing mercy to others is the trivial. 
the trivial, the trivial and the trite things of life. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guide, straining out a gnat and swallowing out, swallowing a camel. Jesus is telling the scribes and Pharisees that they're tithing mint and dill and cumin. In other words, what? The smallest things that they're gaining, even the, the things that they're growing in their garden, they're making sure they're tithing, right? Taking so much care and the smallest religious duties to obey, but what? But they're neglecting something. They're neglecting the weightier matters of God's law like justice and mercy and faithfulness. He's saying, look, you're straining out a gnat. See, these Pharisees, before they would drink something, they would put it through a strainer. Why? Because in case they might accidentally drink a gnat and become ceremonially unclean to perform their religious duties. They're straining out on that. They're taking so much care, and yet by neglecting the weightier matters, like mercy, Jesus is saying, you're not swallowing a gnat, but you're swallowing a camel. You're missing the entire point, Jesus is saying. This is the reason why in the story of the Good Samaritan, Jesus chooses the priest and the Levite as the ones who rejected mercy's call. Here's a man that's been robbed and beaten down and left for dead, but Hey, look, it's going to be okay because here comes a preacher man, right? So preacher man coming. He's going to stop. Surely he's going to help. But no, Jesus says he walks all the way around on the other side. Okay, well, preachers are jerks like that. But here comes a worship pastor. Worship pastors are so nice. I'm sure he's going to stop. But he too walks all the way around on the other side. Why? Maybe it wasn't because they were so evil. Maybe... It was an evil intent. Maybe the priest and the Levite didn't want to walk up on the guy in case the guy was already dead. And according to Old Testament law, they'd be declared ceremonially unclean, unable to perform all their religious duties. I have to keep going, they might have thought. Doesn't God want me to perform all of my religious duties? But what about this great, weighty religious duty right here to be merciful to the one who needs mercy? They're so fixated on the trivial, but I have to go do this, but I'm on my way to do that. They neglected the weightier matter that was right in front of them. What Jesus is teaching us here is beware of going through the day doing only trivial things, feeling only trivial feelings, thinking only trivial thoughts, what Jesus is showing us is that the great barrier, the great obstacle, the great enemy to mercy is our preoccupation with the trivialities of life, whether religious or secular. Mercy is always in danger of being neglected because of our preoccupation with things that really don't hold any weight, any weight of eternal significance anyways. You know, I can Netflix with the best of them, and so I'm not judging here. But perhaps Jesus is saying that the greatest barrier to our showing mercy to people is Netflix or scrolling through Instagram. Have you seen the new iPhone feature that tells you how many hours that you spent on each app and how many times you pick up the phone a day? I picked up my phone 86 times a day. I said, Lord, have mercy. <laughs> the things that keep us from the weightier matters of God's law, 
is perhaps grocery shopping or our checklist. Maybe it's carpooling or our kids playing 15 different sports. Maybe it's ESPN on Saturdays. And like the priest and the Levite, religious trivialities keep us from weightier matters of mercy as well. What religious activities? Any religious activity, whether it be praying or Bible reading or going to church or tithing, any religious activity that makes us say, Lord, consider me excused. God, I see that need. I feel for that need. I really do, but I'm studying your word, God. Don't you want me to study your word? I have to prepare to teach a Bible study, God. Please consider me excused. God, I see that need. I want to meet that need, but I tithe to church already this month. Don't you want me to tithe, God? Please consider me excused. When God is looking at all of our activities, all the things that we fill our lives with, all the things that we busy ourselves doing, the thing that he's going to look at and say, that right there, that right there, that's the thing that counts, that's the thing that really matters in life, that right there, that's my son, that's my daughter, they're doing the weightier thing. What is it? It's mercy. When we're being merciful, when we're showing mercy to one another, there will always be barriers to our showing mercy. Will always be. But mercy, God says, is the weightier matter of the law. And lastly, what is the promise of mercy? What is the promise? What is the result? What is the reward for those who are merciful? Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for what? For they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. In other words, in the age to come, when we meet King Jesus face to face, the people who will receive mercy from him are the people who have been merciful to others. That's what he's saying. On judgment day, who are the people that Jesus is going to offer his mercy to? The people who have been merciful to others. Now, some of you may be saying, wait a minute, and for good reason, doesn't sound quite right. I thought salvation was by grace alone, through faith alone, not by works, lest anyone should boast. Is this salvation by works here? Are you saying we earn mercy through our mercy? No, because an earned mercy would be a contradiction in terms, right? If mercy is earned, then it wouldn't be mercy, it would be a wage, right? God, give me your mercy, you owe me. Why? Because I was merciful. Mercy that is owed is no mercy, that's a wage. And so that's not what Jesus is saying. And so what is Jesus saying? Remember again the first four Beatitudes and the promises associated with them. Because of the cross of Jesus, we have his kingdom. We have his comfort. We have his creation. We have his righteousness. And in light of the great mercy that we've already received from God, God is saying, therefore, we're going to be a merciful people. In other words, the mercy of God demonstrated and poured out through the cross of Christ for those of us who have truly received it cannot be ignored. It will not go unaffected. No one who has truly received God's mercy will live their lives unchanged. The receiving of God's mercy will absolutely make us a merciful people. This is so sure. God's mercy, if truly received, making us a merciful people, this is so sure that God will hang our future judgment on it. He will hang our salvation on it. When you imagine Judgment Day, seeing King Jesus face to face, what do you imagine? 
What do you think he's going to say? How do you imagine it going down? Maybe we think Jesus is going to ask, did you pray and ask me into your heart? Maybe we imagine Jesus saying, did you trust that I died on the cross for your sins? Well, Jesus tells us exactly what judgment day is going to look like. He tells us in Matthew chapter 25. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells us about how on the last day, he's going to appear before everybody and he's going to divide the sheep from the goats. The sheep from the goats. On judgment day, one of the things that Jesus is going to do is he's going to divide and separate people who are true believers from the people who think they're believers. That's one of the things that Jesus is going to do on Judgment Day. Well, how's he going to do that? How's he going to distinguish? On that day, he's going to look at the sheep to his right and say, come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. And I was naked you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. But to the goats on his left, Jesus is going to say, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. This is not a hypothetical future. This is not some parable that Jesus is making up. Jesus is saying this is going to happen. And on that day, when you and I are there, where will you be? To his right? To his left? You know, both groups are surprised. The sheep say, Jesus, I'm so glad I get to enter into your kingdom. But when did we see you in this way? And the goats are surprised as well. You can imagine the protest. But Jesus, I went to church. I read my Bible. I accepted you into my heart when I was eight years old. When did we ever see you hungry and naked and sick and in prison? And Jesus says, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. Jesus is saying that the poor, the suffering, and the sinner are so close to his heart because in his mercy he has bound himself up with them that to serve them is to serve him. And he's saying the true reality of whether you've really received the mercy of the gospel is not determined by church attendance. You can't say, God, I went to church. That's not what it's determined by. It's not determined by Bible reading. It's not determined by some prayer you said when you were eight. All those things are important. All those things are critical, but they can all be faked by a deceitful heart. But what can't be faked is a heart transformed by the mercy of God to be merciful. That can't be faked. A heart that is transformed by the mercy of God to be merciful, to show mercy. And this is the index of whether you've truly received the mercy of the cross of Jesus. Were you merciful to your fellow man? That's the litmus test. That's how you know. Were you merciful to the poor, to the suffering, and the sinner? Caring about the poor doesn't make you a Christian, right? Caring about the poor doesn't make you a Christian. Showing mercy to the suffering doesn't make you saved, but caring and showing mercy shows that you have been saved. As Martin Luther once said, yes, you are saved by faith alone. You are. 
You're saved by faith alone, Christian. But saving faith is never alone, he said. Saving faith is never alone. It is always accompanied by. It will always produce good fruits. It will always inevitably produce a life dedicated to pouring out mercy on those who need it. For the genuine believer, mercy flowing out of their lives is an inevitable. It's necessary. It may not be immediate, but it's inevitable. Is your faith genuine or counterfeit? There's a way to know. Many of us ask, am I saved? Am I really saved? There's a way to know. There's a test. Do you see mercy flowing out of your life? Do you? Because God's mercy demonstrated for us on the cross is so great. It's so boundless. It's so wonderful that you will not be able to truly receive it without that mercy flowing out of your life. You won't be able to keep it in if it's truly in there. This is the lesson of the Good Samaritan, and this is the beauty of the cross. We have to shoulder one another's burdens. We have to shoulder one another's burdens. We have to enter into their pain. We have to try to feel what they're feeling and act to meet that need, to relieve the distress. We can't do everything, but we can do something. Now, what I'm going to say may offend some of you. I know it was a punch in the gut for me when I first heard it in a sermon, and it's this. Whatever you're currently doing, whatever you're currently doing to help others in their suffering, do more. Do more. Whatever you're currently doing to relieve the distress of those around you, do more. How else do we apply a text like today? How else do we do it? The world is filled with people who need mercy, isn't it? The world is filled with people who need to know and experience God's mercy as we show them our mercy. And so let's do it. No one is off the hook, right? But none of us say, therefore, God, consider me excused. Whatever level of mercy we're currently displaying, let's work to increase it. Why? Why? Because look at the cross. Look at the cross. Can you see it? Look at the extravagance with which God has poured out his mercy on us. Look at the cost. And so let us be willing to stretch ourselves. Jesus did. Let us be willing to pay whatever the cost. Jesus paid the cost that was required. Life is so short, right? The Bible says our life is but a breath. It's here today, gone tomorrow. And so why not spend it doing the weightier thing? Your life is this short. How are you going to spend it? Let's spend it doing the weightier thing. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Let's pray together. Father, even now, will you act to open the eyes of our hearts? Father, our hearts are so callous sometimes. It's so cold sometimes. It's so unfeeling sometimes, Lord. And a command to simply Go and be merciful, we cannot keep. Lord, a command to just go and be merciful, just go do it, is only condemning and damning because we can't do it apart from our 
eyes being opened to see the greatness of the mercy that was poured out for us on the cross. Any cost is too great for us unless we see the great cost that was poured out for us. Any inconvenience is too great an inconvenience unless we see the extent to which you have moved heaven and earth to send us your son to take upon human flesh, bound himself up with us forever so that he can be our great savior, our great high priest that forever lives to tell us, I know, I know what you're going through. I feel what you're feeling. The great cost that was paid so that we might have in you a God of mercy. Father, let us be in awe of that. And for those who have truly received it, let us be a merciful people. And for those who have yet to receive it, Father, let today be the day of their salvation. This mercy was offered to you. Will you say yes to him? Father, will you make our church a merciful people that display the mercy that was shown to us? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.